Join with me in John chapter 4 today. Over our trip, we had lots of good uh, opportunities to see our family, to have good conversations, and I, I enjoy opportunities to be able to connect with our family. Uh, conversation helps us to feel connected, and that's good. Uh, sometimes, as a parent, conversations can get interesting. Can I get an amen? Uh, if you've ever raised a child, you can understand a little bit of what, uh, what that means. Uh, you know that it can be interesting at times what comes out of a toddler's mouth or a four-year-old or a five-year-old's mouth because it's like there's no filter. You know what I mean? It just comes out and you're thinking, we were thinking that, but you're not supposed to say it yet, son. One, one mother was desperate to get her child to eat, you know, how, how it works, you know, at the table. They don't like the chicken and their vegetables, and, and they wanted french fries and hamburgers instead. And, and so this mother, she was just trying, she said, listen, Susie, eat four more bite, bites of your chicken and three more bites of vegetables, and I'll call it good. And the little child said, no, I'm not going to eat that. I'm, gonna have, I'm only having 10 bites of chicken and 16 bites of vegetables. Well, obviously, she was struggling with math a little bit there. Or I, I love this uh, lesson in toddler ease. You know what that is? It's not quite English. It's not quite toddler. somewhere in the middle. And I'm going to thank Brother Zeke for uh, letting me coin that uh, phase, uh, phrase. We call it Zekanese uh, when we talk to him. And I'm like, say it again, Brother, English this time. But this little girl, she was learning how to talk. And you know how, you know, as a dad, I've never had the best dad ears. You know what I mean? Uh, my wife, I, I look at her all the time. She's my interpreter. And I'm like, what did they say? And, and I just, this little girl, she was saying, where's this going? And the, the father said, what? Huh? She said, where's this going? And so she, the, the father turned to the wife and said, what in the world is she saying? She said, she, and she looked at him and she said, I, I got nothing. I don't have a clue. And so the girl said, once again, where's this going? Did y'all get it yet? I hope y'all got it. Well, she finally figured out, oh, where are we going? Me not know where this is going. You know, sometimes conversation can be tough, or if you're on a foreign field or talking to someone who's not an English-speaking uh, person, it can be difficult. Try talk, call an AT&T helpline. <laughs> You'll understand what I'm talking about. You know, I, I'm sure all of us could say, it, it just we've been in interesting conversations in our life, but conversation, good, meaningful conversation, helps make life feel rich. And as we come to John chapter 4, we have, we, a couple weeks ago, we looked at the beginning of this, just the first eight verses or so, and we saw that Jesus had a purpose, a need to go through Samaria, and it was, a, it was a very important time for his life and in his ministry as he said, listen, we must needs go through Samaria. I have an appointment there. There's a woman that I must meet with. God has me on a sacred errand, and now we're going to look at not just this, this encounter, but also we're going to see this discussion, this conversation that they're going to have this morning. You know, as a parent of a teenager, I'm thankful for opportunities we have to connect together. I've enjoyed, as a parent, every stage of children. Uh, it's fun when they're first born because you think they're perfect. Then you get a little smarter. And then, then you, it's fun as you get out of the diaper age, Amen. That's always a blessing, and it's fun to watch them walk, uh, go to school for the first time, to watch them grow, and to watch them learn. It was fun to just every stage of the game. And, and you know, it's a, as Asa has uh, uh, been almost a full year as a teenager, it has been an exciting journey for our family. And uh, we're looking forward uh, to getting past this phase. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> but one of the things that make it rich is conversation. It's no longer this... Go do this, son. Now it's we sit down and we get to have these rich conversations that are so much more meaningful. 
Christ knew the value of investing in conversations. He knew the value of what it could mean in a life to transform a heart in a life. He'd just sit down, slow down, and talk, and to spend time with this dear woman. And so if you will join with me, we're going to take a moment here this morning because as we look at this conversation, we see that he chose to take a detour so that he can encounter this woman. But, uh, and, but this was not the normal route for Jews, but a route that would lead him directly to a woman at an appointed time, at an appointed place that needed the compassion of God displayed in her life. And so as we see, I want to just ask you to join with me in John chapter 4. We're going to read John 4, verses 1 through 30 together. It says, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again unto Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Joseph well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied in his, with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. And then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said unto her, if thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, that would have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. And the woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband and come hither. And the woman answered and said, Well, I have no husband. And Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou hast is not thy husband, in that, thou, in, in that saidest thou truly. And the woman said unto her, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Well, our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me. The hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. And when he is come, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou? Or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith unto the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. 
Let us stop together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we just pause this morning to say thank you. As we opened our, our time together uh, with you, now we ask you to continue to be with us. Thank you for the word of God. Lord, may it ever be our source of strength, our pillar of truth, uh, our, our example for life. And God, may we find strength and encouragement from your holy word. Now take and use this time, we pray, and draw our hearts to you and remove distractions and may your spirit have control in Jesus' name. Amen. Last time we saw that it was necessary that Christ went this way. He said, I must need to go through Samaria. And he was willing to meet this needy woman and demonstrate to her his boundless compassion. And if truth were told, this story is more than just a singular woman at the well. For in this story, we see a picture of you or, or a picture of me. And we see that God's compassion is displayed to not just this woman, but even in this conversation, in this discussion to all of us here today. And so as we look here today, we see that Christ desires for us to come close to examine this conversation and to see what God has for us and the riches of His glories that's revealed here. In this discussion, uh, Jesus and the woman are, are in a, you know, just a, an everyday conversation, if you will, like you would have at the gas station attendant or somebody else as, as you're just going about your day. And seven times we see that the woman says, she say it. Verse 9, verse 11, verse 15, verse 17, verse 19, verse 25, verse 28. All of these indicates that she was talking, conversing with Christ. And so she would say and then he would respond. And so as we look at this, we see a very encouraging discussion that as, as God encountered this woman at the well, then he led her to this discussion. And this conversation, let me just say, didn't exactly start well. I mean, read into this the animosity that was uh, intended there. Uh, because as we would, we would be able to see, we could see a word of indignation that had come as a result uh, of just him even talking to her. Remember verse 7, he says, give me to drink. This is a Jewish man talking to a Samaritan woman. And that is, that is important for us to understand the difference. Because our first interaction with this woman is very, well, frankly, it's very rude. She's insolent. She's impudent, if you will. She's impertinent. She tosses her head and she drags to the surface all, of the, uh, all that she's never forgotten, the racial division that existed for centuries. Listen, you thought 2020 was the beginning of racial division. It didn't start with George Floyd. It's been existed for centuries. But listen, people with less or more melanin in their, uh, in their skin pigmentation doesn't mean someone is less or more valuable. Racism is an issue of pride of the heart. It is a desire to tear down others to make yourself feel better. And this is exactly what this woman was showing. If you look here in verse number 9, Then saith the woman of Samaria to him, How is it that thou... Being a Jew, asketh drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria. For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. You can just, you can just see, you can hear in her voice, just as it drips the, the sarcasm, as it drips the, the, the religious and the, uh, and the racial uh, hate and venom. But it goes back several centuries. And I've just had to recap, because we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I just want to recap for those maybe who were with us a couple of weeks ago, or maybe uh, just because we've slept and we've forgotten more than we remember. Amen. <laughs> but as we look at this, the northern ten tribes were led into captivity by the Assyrians. 
their conquerors, who were the Assyrians, which was their usual policy to uh, infiltrate the, the country that they had taken with foreigners. And so they would try to de destroy their national identity. And so they would carry people off and they would bring people in. And before long, these newcomers would ad uh, adopt themselves to some form of the common religious re religiosity of that place. And so what happened was then it was a mix of heretical beliefs, what they brought from their land and what they adopted from Judaism. And so that was the Samaritans. That was where their foundation was. It was a mix of heresy. It was a mix uh, of blood. It was a mix of all different types of things. And so when this woman comes to Jesus or when Jesus comes to this woman and says, give me to drink, recognize that there was a great social divide between these two. One, he's a man, she's a woman. Secondly, he's a Jew, she's a Samaritan. But through the years, there was much more than just the mixed blood and the mixed religion. The Jews rejected these colonists. They re refused to allow them to have any part with worshiping with them. And after the Jews had tried to, uh, had suffered in Babylonian captivity and they returned to repossess their land, they found the S Samaritans were still there. And so they, uh, they, uh, the Jews wanted to rebuild the temple. And in rebuilding the temple, the Samaritans said, hey, let us help. And the Jews said, you don't have any right to help. We don't want anything to do with you. And so obviously this continued to fuel the animosity and the resentment. And it just fostered and grew. And since they were banned from worshiping with the Jews, the Samaritans uh, chose to build a rival temple right here on Mount Gerizim. For themselves... This was a place that, that later the Jews would come and would burn down. Again, hate continued to grow. This racism continued to, to spread like, incredibly through the centuries. The kids were mad at the Samaritans because their parents were mad at them. The parents were mad because the, their parents were mad. And it goes on for centuries, just like this, generation after generation, was built up this racism, this hatefulness, all of these things. And the parents, they, they didn't do anything to try to, de to destroy it, but instead fostered it by their own life. Let me just point out something real quick, can I? Bitterness... Left unchecked, never goes away. It grows like a cancer. It devours and destroys all that's in its path. And that's why we are called by God to deal with anger in all of its forms and deal with it in a biblical manner. Because Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 through 27 says, Be ye angry and sin not. We like that first phrase, don't we? Be ye angry. Look, preacher said it on Sunday. I can be angry all I want. Now get out of my way. That's driving down Kansas Expressway at 5 o'clock in the evening. But he says, and sin not. There's a little caveat there, and you've got to catch that here. He says, you can't sin. It's got to be biblical. He says, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. But instead of responding to her hate, instead of responding, you know, because when, you ever had someone that was just rude? I, I mean, we, we were traveling through Texas, and Texas is, is a state that doesn't have any mask mandate anymore. We never did in Missouri. I'm thankful for that. Just the local principalities had set that up. But, uh, but as we were traveling through Texas, we've, um, we stopped to go to the restroom at a McDonald's, and, and one of the employees there was very ungracious. I'm just going to put it like that. And, you know, I was tempted. I thought, I'm going to call McDonald's, and, I'm gonna, and then the Lord said, no, you're not. You're just going to let it go. 
You know, we can respond sometimes when someone comes at us and we can respond and say, man, I'm going to get them for that. But Jesus never did. Look at his response here in verse number 10. Jesus answered and said, if thou knewest the gift of God. If you really understood who I am, if you knew what I'm offering you today, he says, thou would say, uh, uh, who it is that says and they give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him and he would have given thee the living water. So instead of responding to her questions and continuing the division and this racial prejudice, his response was to offer her something instead. Listen, God is calling us as a church today to offer the world this kind of compassion and love for others. Jesus told his disciples that the world would know we are different. Our lives would be distinct. It would, it would uh, be obvious that we belong to him do you remember what he said in John 13, 34, and 35? A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you have all, uh, and that ye also love one another. In verse 35, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have loved one to another. This is, a, this is just the opposite of what prejudice is. Prejudice spews hate. It spews anger. It spews abuse. And these things are not found in the life of Christ. He was not angry. He wasn't vindictive toward this woman because of her nationality, because of the way that she responded to him. Instead, we see instead Romans chapter 2 and verse 11, for there is no respect of persons with God. And we see his desire to demonstrate the compassion and love to this woman who was not a woman who was necessarily of greatest reputation. It wasn't even of a great bloodline, but she was a woman that God loved. What a difference it makes when we look at people through the lens of God. And we look, put on God-colored glasses when we look at people. And we say, listen, this is a person that God loves. This is a person that God died for. This is a person that God calls me to also care for and to love. I'm grateful that I've not seen this kind of hate in our church but maybe, maybe be on guard that God would allow us to continue to demonstrate this type of love and, and care for those around us in our community. He said, listen, I've got a need to talk to you. I have a need to share something with you that will change your life. Satan is doing his very best to divide, to destroy any kind of unity that may be here in our great nation. Long, long, for a long time, America has been known as a melting pot. People from all around the world. As a matter of fact, if you were to do the Ancestry DNA test, you would probably find that your, your DNA goes from about 30 different places. <laughs> Several weeks ago, I talked about being, uh, you know, not being, uh, you know, we're not just Irish or we're not just English or anything like that. My family, I just refer to us as a bunch of mutts. We got some Indian and some German and some Irish and some all kinds of different things, some questionable stuff in the background. We won't want to talk about that from the pulpit. And my, my daughter brought that home. She says, Dad, we're mutts? It is what it is, daughter. <laughs> but listen, Satan's doing his very best to divide and destroy and to, and to spew hatred. And he relishes any opportunity he sees when, when we get in the middle of that as God's people because it destroys our opportunity to witness to the lost. Christ's response backed up what he consistently preached throughout this time, that he was a loving God and that he called us to love others and that our love of God is demonstrated in the way that we care and love for those around us. It's not dependent upon background or nationality or differences. He was a Jew and he said he asked a Samaritan for a drink. 
You know, most Jews would have assumed that all Samaritan women were in a perpetual state of being unclean. They were in a perpetual state of ceremonial uncleanness. That means he couldn't even touch her. He couldn't touch anything that, that she would even uh, she would lie on, sit on, touch with her own hands. He would literally not be able to touch her at all. But and this this was a just a common thought pattern of Jewish men in that day. So obviously, when this woman heard from his lips, "Give me to drink," she was a little bit of a skeptic. What does this crazy man want? What is it he wants from me? What is he after here in this? And so she replied with this great indignation, but Christ took her indignation and replaced it with hope. He took her hate and he offered her life. May I remind you what Christ does for us today? Romans chapter 8 or 6 and verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. That's what I've earned. You know that God says that all of us are sinners. There's not one of us that's good. All of us have done evil. There's none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.10 tells us. And so that, that sin that we have done, and that sin is basically anything that falls short of the glory of God, which means all of us in this room have fallen short of the glory of God. As sinners, our sin has earned us death. And God takes that, and He took it upon Himself on the cross, and He offers instead the gift of of eternal life. That's what God has done. That's when we celebrate Easter, we're celebrating the fact that Jesus died on the cross for me, for you, for the whole world, for, this, for all of our sins. He paid the price of the wage that was due. That's why He came. That's why He was willing to preach, why He was willing to witness, why He was willing to work and to labor, so that others might know that what this woman was about to hear, that Jesus alone is our hope of eternal life. And today, it's the same thing. But we see here there's some indecision, a word of indecision in her, in her life as she responds back to the Lord. Look in verse number 11. Then the woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is dip deep. From whence hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself, and his children and his cattle? You see, immediately as she responds to Christ, she's engaging in Jesus, and she's wanting to know, what are you talking about? We see her thoughtfulness, and she's, she wanted to be angry with this man, but she couldn't be. Her willingness and his willingness to talk with her just amazed her. He was just a flabbergasted here. But also notice that the way she talks to him changes. Before, he was just a Jew. Now she says, sir. Verse 11 Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. This is a, uh, she was beginning to show a t uh, change in her heart, a, a, a level of respect for him that was not there before. And this woman, as she looked at him, she was listening to his words and she was confused and she, th she was still thinking of the literal Jacob's well. I showed you a picture of it a couple weeks ago. And she still thought about this Jacob's well, this hole in the ground. Was he going to hold the water up? How's he going to do that? She couldn't fathom what in the world he was talking about. For days, every day, this woman had made back-breaking trips from, uh, from the city all the way to the well, and from the, from the well back to her, uh, her home, back-breaking work to get, to get the water out of the well, put it in her bucket over and over and over every day without the companionship of other ladies because she was an outcast. But then she took Christ on a tangent in verse 12. 
She says, art thou greater than our father Jacob? She says, are you greater than the one who dug the well? Listen, that was no small feat. Today, we, we were in the Panhandle Plains uh, Historical Museum or something with the kids in uh, Canyon, Texas uh, this last week. And uh, we got to see all the different drilling rigs from the early uh, part of the oil boom in the 1920s and the 30s. And the kids uh, seemed to enjoy it. And we looked at how fracking worked and all of that, uh, the modern technology as well. And we were, they were showing us how the, the, they would drill a well and they would have a steam-powered engine that would uh, operate a motor. And that would just take a big drill bit and just, just pound away the rocks little bits and pieces at a time, and eventually they'd have to pull that, that bit out, and they would have to suck all that stuff out of the hole, and they would go back to pounding the rocks and over and over and over again. Well, listen, Jacob didn't even have a steam-powered engine to be able to do this with. They had to dig through this solid rock by hand. And she said, are you, are you greater than Jacob? I mean, he's the one that gave us this well hundreds of years before, and it's still producing water. Are you greater than him? With these Samaritans... They were not pure Jewish bloodline. They couldn't honestly say that their father was Jacob. But Christ didn't quibble about it. He didn't say, listen, listen, you're not really from Jacob's bloodline. There was more important more uh, to, to be said. And he goes on and his response was, whosoever drinketh of this water, he says, let me tell you, you've missed the mark here. You've missed the point of this conversation. I'm not talking about the water in this well. I'm talking about a, a, a living water that is, that is greater than all of this. Listen, he was going beyond bloodlines. Aren't you grateful that God does that? Amen. I've already told you I'm from a, a family of mutts. You might, your family may be different. You may have red, rednecks. Can I, any, any amens on that one? Hillbillies. Maybe you got some gangsters in your bloodline. People are like, ah, they're not going to say anything in there. Maybe some inmates, some junkies, you name it, could be in your family lineage. And if you have some royalty in your bloodlines, praise the Lord. I want to get to know you after church. But these things aren't important to God. For God is no respecter of persons, as Romans 2.11 says, because Christ died for all men. And that's why when he came to this woman, he says, listen, I don't care about your bloodlines. I don't care about those things. I care about your soul. And as Christ responds, he responds to the need that is deeper than physical water. He deals with her inner thirstiness. Listen, it's not just isolated to this woman. Every person without Christ come, should come to the well who are thirsty. She was thinking in literal terms. He was speaking to her in figures of speech and said, I'm just far greater than this water in this well. Verse 14, Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. Are you thirsty today? Well, I could drink some water right here in front of you now that you're thinking about that. Some, so often we feel hungry for something deeper. People who are in drug life or, or uh, who go from partner to partner or who are experimenting with all the different things in this world, my heart breaks for them because they've missed the one thing that could satisfy their soul. Amen. And as Jesus sat on the ledge of that well that day, he looked at this woman and said, I offer you something that will satisfy the longing of your soul. And he invited her to partake. What a glorious thing that God has done. Let me just share with you the next phrase as she responds back and forth, a word of intimation. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. 
This woman asked for this mysterious water. She says, listen, I want this water. Whatever you got, I'm buying today. You know, it's like the old snake oil guys that would travel the West and they would try to sell their, their, their uh, st magic stuff in a bottle that was mostly just alcohol that would make you forget all your pain. You know, and, and as, as they, and they would go along and they would sell this stuff and she's like, man, I'm ready to buy whatever it is so I don't have to come back to this. Listen, this was a draining tour on her, not just physically as we talked about, but it had a way of reminding her of the fact that she was an outcast in a society of outcasts. She came at the time of day that was hot. She came at a time of day when no others would want to meet her. She didn't want to be reminded of her life. Remember, she was married five times and lived with a man. She was not someone that society deemed worthy to be around. And so to have this living water, this opportunity to, to be relieved of this burden that she carried in her life, listen, she couldn't follow the symbolism, but she could sit in at this deep need that she had in her life. And it was this transitional moment in the conversation that God begins to point, instead of hostility, He offers her hope. And so before Christ offers the hope of eternal life, though, there's something that He had to deal with. You see, because the Lord put a finger on what was causing her uh, quenchless thirst. You see, because there's something in every person's life that causes us to be hungry, that feel, make us feel empty, or to make us thirst for something greater in this life, and that is sin. And so he transitions in verse 16. And Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband and come hither. And this is where it gets a little dicey. Things were going good. She wanted it. She said, Oh, yeah, I'll take this living water, whatever you got, lay it on me. And he says, Well, go get your husband. And she said, well, I have no husband. So Jesus answered and says, I know you don't. And he told her exactly what was going on in her life. And instinctively, this woman tried to insulate herself from this affront to her. No, no one likes to be told, you're a sinner. Pastor Tolbert, I love you, but you're a sinner. And I know y'all don't believe that. But his, his son's back there. Has your dad ever sinned, Brother Gary? <laughs> he says, no, He's perfect. <laughs> Here's the truth of the matter is there's not one righteous, no, not one. We're all sinners. And as he deals with and he offers her hope, before a person could ever receive Christ as their Savior, they must recognize that they are a sinner in need of a Savior. No one likes to be insulted. No one wants to advertise that they've made errors in judgment or mistakes or no one wants to, anybody to know that sin, they've sinned against God. Sin is an affront to God, and as such, it separates him from him. And so as he begins this, we see that this, this, as he turns this conversation, she begins to backtrack a little bit. Verse 19, the woman saith unto him, I perceive that thou art a prophet. She's changing the subject. Did you know that sometimes over, over time, if we allow sin in our life, we can become used to it. It can just become normal. Well, it's just a little bit of an issue with porn pastor. It's not a big deal. Well, you, you know, it's, it's really not a big thing, you know, just on, with friends or whatever. It's just I partake a little bit, but not a big deal. Or like Bill Clinton said, I did not inhale. You know, all of these things, we, we try to make excuses, rationalize. She may have grown cold, may have become isolated from society. But let me just say that this was a sore spot in her life. And when he brought this up, it caused her to say, whoa, what are you talking about? Would you look in Romans chapter 1 with me? 
verses 26 through 32. We're going to read several verses, and I just want you to see these in your Bible. Because what happens is over time is, if you're a Christian today, and you've allowed sin to continually dwell in your life, you've quenched the Spirit of God, it's harder to hear Him. It's harder to be led by Him. You cannot be filled with Him if there's sin in your life. If you're not a believer today, and like this woman here who is at the well, she's become uh, complacent with her sin, and she has become where it just doesn't matter anymore. And so she isolated herself from everything else, from society, from those around her, and she just said, listen, it, does, it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, they don't care about me. I don't care about them. But God cares. And God has given us a warning here in Romans chapter 1 and verse 26 because we must deal with the sin that, that, God, uh, that we have allowed into our life. And it says, for this cause, God gave them up to vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to those, do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which con uh, commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. You see, over the passing of time, with the passing of the partners, with her, her heart and her mind may have grown callous toward that sin, and God is waking her up and saying, listen, it's time for you to wake up to the reality of the dangers of the sin in your life. Christian, we have, sometimes it's easy for us to grow callous and to, to, to grow lackadaisical towards sin and we say, literally, it's not affecting anybody else around me. It's not a big deal. But if we, could be, if we want to be delivered from this, we must be like, uh, like they meet in an AA-style meeting and lead off and say, listen, I'm John Bingham and I'm a sinner. Each of us must recognize that we're sinners and it's only by the grace of God, it's only by the mercy of God, it's only by the power of God that we can see the living water make a change in our lives. You see, the Pharisees and the scribes, they did not receive this hope because they believed they were too good. They had no sin. Oh, I don't need that stuff. That's just for those people. This woman knew deep down that she was a sinner. And when Christ uncovered it, he exposed it. She was disgusted and disturbed. Let's pick up the narrative in verse 19. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem, this is the place where men ought to worship. You ever notice when you're witnessing to someone that they like to deflect the conversation? I mean, I'm trying to tell them about Jesus. All men are sinners, and this is what she says. He points out her sin, and she's Listen, we worship in Mount Gerizim. You Jews say that we ought to worship there. Well, here's, here's the truth of the matter that Jesus was now taking and saying, listen, all of these things don't matter. Where you worship is going to be irrelevant. In verse 21, he says, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. He said, listen, there's coming a future day very soon that the, the place of worship will no longer matter because it's the person of worship that is important. 
You know, this building may burn. They may take it away. The government may come in and say, you can't meet anymore. But I'm telling you, as a church of God, we can still come together and say, listen, it's not the place. It's the person we worship today. It's not about a building. It's not about properties. It's not about land. It's about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when our eyes are upon Him and we get focused on Him, then all of these things are not as important as they used to be. And if the pastor didn't pick the right color for the new building project, who cares? Amen? Because it's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's get, let Him get the glory in all of this. We see that this was a problem for them. As we mentioned earlier, they had tried to build this, this Mount Gerizim temple. And, and, and Jesus said, listen, this place doesn't matter. What matters is who you worship. And that's the heart of all of this today. As we come down to this, I want to just point out to you, because I'm running quickly out of time, that Jesus, he says in verse number 22, you worship, you know not what. We know what we worship. We've got the whole counsel of God. And listen, today, we know what we worship. The world today who is looking at, for, at Hinduism and looking for Eastern religions and they're looking at Mormonism and they're looking at these other things, they have no idea what they even worship today. But the God of the Bible has made it plain to us that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of all those who will put their faith in Him. Him. And today, He is the one we worship. And next, next Sunday, when we come to Easter, we're going to worship our Savior, the risen Savior, not the dead Savior, not the one that's still lying in a tomb, but the one that's up from the grave, He arose. That's who we worship today. And this morning, if you have never worshipped Him, I want to just point your, drag, draw your attention here to the last couple of verses as we come to a close this morning. He says, but the hour cometh, and now is, in verse 23, when the true worshipers shall rush worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. He is seeking those who are willing to come and to put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and be gloriously saved. He says, for God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And truly this morning, God invites you and says, listen, it's not about excuses. It's not about these other things. This morning, God is calling you and say, listen, it's time to think about the future and to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and to, to trust Him above everything else because the greatest conversation, the greatest decision you can ever make is to put your faith in Christ today.